good to uh, see Pastor Rich Barcelos in the back. I want, it's been a long time since we've seen you, brother, and glad you're here. Just wanted to mention you and welcome you. Uh, people of God, let's pray, and uh, we'll uh, reflect a little bit from God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your undying passion, loyal covenant faithfulness to us. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for your mercies, which are new every day. We bless your name. We stand here thankful that we are called and chosen and redeemed and bought and loved and justified and forgiven and all those things, Lord. We are happy people. And we bless you together. Lord, pray that your power would be made manifest in weakness at this moment. I pray that your spirit would come now and bless me as I share your word. And that this people, this church would be gripped afresh by your word. And we'd be people of great hope and confidence um, as we walk away from this text and into this Thomas season of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read for you Psalm chapter 37, the first 15 verses, and then I want to share for a few minutes with you some reflections from God's Word. So if you have a copy of the Bible in front of you, uh, open that up and let's read. And uh, let's let these words land on us. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's hear from Him. God says in His Word, Psalm 37, fret not yourself. Because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit yourself, your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. This evening, I want to share with you a little bit of what I think should be our confidence uh, before God as a people. What should be our disposition? What should be our um, strong, the stronghold of our heart this evening as we, as a family of God, 
uh, move forward in the days and, and weeks to come. We need to stand. We need to be a people of God who stand in confidence on the truthfulness and on the promises of God's word. God wants us to be a people who not only know right things, but who who believe right things, and that those beliefs go deep down into us to the point to where when the storms come, when the afflictions arise, we are not shaken. That we are a people who know how to stand and do stand on the power and the grace of God in the midst of great affliction and suffering and hardship and trial. Now, what creates that kind of a big Christian? What creates that? That's Christian maturity. What creates that? What creates that is sitting in God's word and standing in God's word and standing on his promises. God is crystal clear. He has given us so many promises by which we can hope in and we can go to the bank on this evening. I want to share a couple of things up front. Um, is thinking of Proverbs chapter 6 verse 19 um, this week. And it's amazing that in Proverbs we have these sayings over and over where it says six things the Lord hates. Yes, even seven. You, you, you probably are familiar with this. One of them is this, Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 there are six things that the lord hates seven that are an abomination to him verse 19 one of them is this a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers do you realize that's something god hates absolutely hates it's an abomination it's one of the things that he calls an abomination exodus chapter 20 verse 16 in exodus 20 verse 16 we have the of course, the Ten Commandments, and right after you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, we have you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So God is clear. God hates all falsehood and lying. And together we gather this evening, and all of us know something um, about lying and falsehood. Um, in the Bible, there were many people who were accused of many things that they did not do. And this is nothing new. It's a tactic of the devil. He's quite happy to do this. In fact, he will do this from this day forward and forever. The devil will seek to tear apart all of God's people. I mean, you can just bank on that. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened to you in an an egregious way, it very well may happen. None of us have any promises of, of being safe. The Christian life is not a life of safety. The Christian life is a life of, in many ways, martyrdom, death to self. And that death comes in, in, in a multiplicity of ways. And one of the ways in which that death comes to us is, is suffering for the name of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. And that suffering is very painful at times. Um, the, the Christians and the Christian community becomes, in many ways, um, a target for the evil one who will use loose lips and lying tongues to destroy God's people, to destroy God's work, to destroy God's church. You know, the Bible talks about life and death being in the power of the tongue. I mean, one word, one ill-spoken word, one falsely spoken word can set ablaze a whole forest. It can it can create so much damage and, and discord and and, and many people in the Bible suffered under false accusations. 
Um, if you think about David, David ran for 12 years, was in hiding. David ran from Saul, who accused him of trying to dethrone him. And for 12 years, David was on the run. We think of Moses, the people, the very people of Moses, after 80 years of faithfulness, after 80 years of fidelity, the people turn on Moses and they accuse Moses of having led them out into this wilderness to let them die. After that track record of faithfulness, people turned against him. Of course, Joseph is a, a clear example. Joseph was accused of rape, of raping Potiphar's wife, and Joseph was greatly maligned, and Joseph had to walk a long, lonely, tired, uh, hard road of affliction for years. And yet God was with him all the way, and as my wife was reminding me this week, um, it's, it's amazing how Joseph was imprisoned even, was taken to a, a great degree of affliction. The story didn't end there. The story didn't end with Joseph in prison. The story ended with God's faithfulness to Joseph and his grace and kindness. And then, of course, the quintessential example is Jesus. I mean, how... Jesus, of all people, was considered the man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Um, Jesus, from the very beginning, was accused of an illegitimate birth. Jesus was accused of being a drunkard as he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus was accused of, of, of all things, being demon-possessed. So Jesus knew a, a thing or two about being falsely accused. And this evening, what I want to do is just share a brief reflection with us. With what do we do? What kind of ammunition do you have? If, the, if, if false accusation comes to you, people of God, how will you stand? What will you do? What shall we do as a church? What does God want to say to us? Three things that the Lord gave me to share with you all tonight um, from Psalm 37. And uh, here, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about three things. Number one, um, what we must not do when evil comes against us, when whether it be false accusations or whether it be whether it be some form of evil or slander or whatever. Whenever when that comes against us, three things that we must not do, and then six things that we must do, and then finally five things that God will do for us. Okay, three things that we must not do, six things that we must do, and five things that God will do for us. And I pray that this will boost your confidence and faith this evening. The first one is very clear. Verse 1, Psalm 37, verse 1, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Friends, it's as simple as this. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit, uh, but a power and a sound mind. Fear is not from God. Fear is never appropriate response. It is so easy, isn't it? Human nature for us just to be afraid. We 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 sometimes some of you wake up and you live in fear, and some of us go through seasons of fear. And when when darkness hits us, it is so easy to 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 just resort to the fetal position and get down and say, "What am I going to do?" 
But see, that's a confidence in the flesh. It's not about you. It's not about what we are going to do. Our confidence is in God. And therefore, God says to us, fret not yourself. Look, no matter what comes against you, no matter what evil or what, or what comes against you, do not be afraid. Do not fear. And then in verse 8, he says it again. It says, uh, it says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath and fret not yourself. Why? It tends to evil. See, fear leads us to evil. We are hurt by fear. We must not fear. Well, the second thing that we're not to do is there in the verse. It says, verse 1, fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Secondly, be not envious of wrongdoers. I think it's interesting that this is Psalm 37 because if you invert 3 and 7, you end up with Psalm 73. And Psalm 73, as we heard about in the series on Psalms, is all about envy, envying the wicked. I mean, sometimes you, you, you wake up and the question isn't, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? The, the pressing question for us sometimes is, is, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad people, why do good things happen? You know, you look at certain people who are living just godless lives, and you see them and you say to yourself, how in the world can they just carry on? Life just seems to be so great for them. You know, hoorah, everything's just fantastic for them. And yet Asaph in Psalm 73 gets to a place where he says, you know, he went into the sanctuary. God reoriented his entire perspective, and then he realized, you know, you know what, this is not the end of the story either. That for the, for the wicked, they will suffer. And the righteous will prosper. And so we must never, ever be envious of the wicked. There's nothing to envy of the wicked. There's absolutely nothing there. We, you know, actually, we should pity their plight. What will become of them? Save the grace and mercy of God. So we must, we must not envy the wicked. And number three... What must we not do here? Verse 8, very clear. We must refrain from anger and forsake wrath. God says very clearly, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So when, when wrong comes against you, when evil comes against you, when a darkness or affliction comes into your life, if that is brought upon by somebody or a human being, what you must never ever be vengeful. Vengeance is mine. God is a God of justice. He will right the matter. He will fix the matter. So we, 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 it is wrong for us then to respond again. That's a trusting in the flesh. Your your justice, your, your desire to get justice will never be will never be as effective as God's. God is a God who will finally and decisively and fully get justice. Leave that in God's hands. That's big Christian response. Number two, then what, what must we do? Well, I love this. This text is just beautiful. Um, verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust. Isn't this it? We start from, from, from a young child. We grow up singing trust and obey for there's no other way. Trust and obey. Life, the Christian life is an ongoing life of constant trust, trusting in the Lord. Trust the Lord. It's easy to trust God when life is going well. It's hard to trust God when life becomes difficult. But what are we called to do? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trusting in the Lord actually produces good. When you're 
fearing and you're not trusting, you don't do good. But when you are trusting God, you act appropriately, you act wisely. Trust in the Lord. Look at look at the uh, second half of that verse. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And here it is. Be friend faithfulness. I love that. Just Just be faithful. Be a faithful Christian. That's all God's called you to do. You don't need to defend yourself. You don't, need to, you don't need to establish how righteous and just you are. Just be faithful. Be a faithful Christian, and you will be vindicated. Just be a faithful Christian. Continue to live a life of fidelity. And then number three, verse four, delight yourself in the Lord. You know, actually find your happiness in God. What? What, if you're looking for happiness in this life, friends, it, you're going to be sadly disappointed. This life is not a life where we can find hope and satisfaction and happiness. We'll have some happiness, some satisfaction. But, friends, real deep, mature Christian hope comes from delighting in God. You get alone with God and you, you, and you sit there and you reflect on who he is. And you begin to find your delight and hope in him. Delight in God. And then verse 5, I love this, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. You know, another way to say that is just give it to God. Give the matter to God. It's bigger than you. You can't handle the situation. Take the matter and give it to God. Let him deal with it. Commit your way to the Lord. Uh, I was um, this uh, this week in a – I was listening to a song – that was done by uh, an author named Christian Stanfield. Can you hear me that? And um, he was a he's a Christian Stanfield. He's a musician and he sings with a passion uh, band. Um, many of you maybe have been to some of those conferences. And one of the songs he has is called Always. I love this. Listen to the words here. It says, my foes are many. They rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fear the war. I will not fear the storm. My help is on the way. My help is on the way. The chorus goes, oh, my God, he will not delay my refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. Trouble surround me. Chaos abounding. My soul will rest in you. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through. And then he has this refrain where he just says over and over, I, I lift up my, I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Oh my God, he will not delay. That's the promise of God's word. And that's verse five is commit your way to the Lord. You give it to God. That's what Christian maturity does. Give the matter to God. And then verse seven, how sweet is this? Be still. Just be still. I think of Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And here God tells us very lovingly, just be still. Be still, and then what does he say? Wait patiently for him. So here it is. We must not fear. We must not envy. We must not be vengeful. Then what must we do? Trust, be faithful, delight in God, give it to God, be still. And here's the last thing. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Jesus says,
Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That, that's so perplexing. In one sense, that's a very perplexing thing. Can you imagine that Jesus saying actually to rejoice and be glad when people persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely? Is that your default reaction? When people utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, is your default mode, mode to say, I rejoice. I'm glad. But see, did you realize the radical nature of what the Bible's calling us to? And here again, we have in Psalm 37, rejoice. We are to be glad in God. We are to, we are to rejoice that the matter has, has, that God has counted us worthy to suffer for his name. And we shouldn't expect anything less than suffering for his name. And you know what? That's an indication that you're a Christian. When evil is spoken against you, when persecution comes, when suffering comes, that's just indicative that you're a Christian. And that's good news. So rejoice and be glad. Now, here's the hope. When these things happen against us and these things take place, what, what's our hope? Our hope is that God will do something, right? So I'm glad this Psalm 37 doesn't just say what not to do and what to do. I'm glad that Psalm 37 comes along and says, listen, what God will do for us. Psalm 37 says, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and here it is, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Promise number one. Who, who receives desires, the desires of their heart? Those who delight themselves in the Lord. That's a promise. Verse 5, here's the second promise. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and what will he do? He will act. Does God just sit back passively and says, well, thanks for being a good Christian. Glad that you're doing the things you're supposed to do. I'm glad that you're growing a little bit. I'm I'm glad that you're changing and being transformed, but I'm just going to kind of see how this pans out. No, God intervenes and he acts. God acts on behalf of his people. Who? Who does he act for? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Those who commit themselves to the Lord and who trust in him, he acts. He acts. He actually acts. He moves. He does something. And then number three, verse six. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Praise God. Praise God. When Matthew 11 happens in your life and people utter all kinds of evil against you, what is your hope? Your hope is here, is your hope is that verse 6 will happen, that God will act, and what will he act towards? He will do this. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. God will come and he'll say, here's your righteousness, here's this man's righteousness, here's this woman's righteousness, right here on full display. That's my act. And that's my promise for you. He will bring it out into the light. Righteousness and justice. That's our hope. Verse 9. That, again, folks, that's why, we don't have to vin- that's why we don't vindicate ourselves. That's why vengeance is God's. We leave the matter to God. He does this for us. Verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. What else does God do? He cuts off the wicked. He cuts off the wicked and he blesses the righteous. Verse 9, the wicked are cut off. Verse 10, 
Same thing. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Okay? Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Vengeance is God's. God will get retribution. It will come from him. God will cut off the wicked. Asaph came to the same conclusion in Psalm 73. Then look what he does for the righteous. Verse 9b. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Good comes. Prosperity comes to the Christian. They will inherit the land. Verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land. And here it is. Delight themselves in abundant peace. Isn't peace great? Peace comes from God in the midst of chaos and trouble. God brings it. And the last thing, verses 12 through 15. You know, it sounds amazing. It sounds kind of crass to say it this way. But here it is. Here's the last thing. God gets the last laugh. He said, why do you say it that way? Because that's what the Bible says. Listen to the look at the language. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Look at verse 13. The Lord laughs. The Lord laughs. The Lord laughs at the wicked. Does, does that not, isn't that amazing language? The Lord laughs at the wicked. He gets the last laugh. You see, Satan may do all that he wants to do. Satan may cause a whole bunch of trouble and chaos and problems in this life. But at the end of the day, it comes down to this, folks. God gets the last laugh. The victory is his. The battle has been won. God wins the victory. So it's easy for us to give it to God because it's already over. It's finished. The victory has been won. God has this. And he's under control. And I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, look, affliction is going to come to us. The question is, what does a big Christian do to respond? Spurgeon says, as soon as God puts his children in the furnace of, of affliction, he will be with them in it. Isn't that a comforting thought? God will be with us in the furnace of affliction. And I found this so encouraging from Thomas Watson this week. Watson uh, was a Puritan. Watson says this, to know that nothing hurts the godly is a matter of comfort. But to be assured that all things which fall out shall cooperate for their good, that their crosses shall be turned into blessings, that showers of affliction water the withering, withering root of their grace and make it flourish more. This may fill their hearts with joy till they run over. Nothing shall hurt the godly. And then I end with this quote. We just read it from Luther. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Is that your hope tonight? Do you believe that? Are you a big Christian? Are you? Let's see. Let's pray. Let's go as big Christians before God, and let's ask him to act on our behalf, believing that he will. God bless you.